Greetings, you're watching the online ministry of Inverell Anglican Church. Uh, this has been prepared for the 28th of November 2021. My name is Adam Draycott and welcome. Our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Let none that wait for you be put to shame. Father God, we thank you that we can gather as your people uh, in this digital way. We ask for your blessing on this time of uh, fellowship, uh, that we would uh, receive your word with gladness that we would delight in uh, our singing, uh, our, our time of praise, and in our personal time of prayer. I thank you for the assurance that you hear our prayers. Encourage our hearts in this time together, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
As we come to the ministry of God's Word, our Bible readings are Isaiah 52, verse 13, through to chapter 53, verse 1. Psalm 117. And our preaching passage is Romans 15, verses 14 to 33. Let's pray. Loving Father, as we come to your word, we ask for your help. Uh, be at work by your Holy Spirit, renewing our minds, growing us in Christ Jesus, that we would uh, truly and properly worship you with our very lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, handwritten letters. They can never be underestimated. Letters... Uh, handwritten letters are very special. They're personal, aren't they? They tell us a story. If you keep your letters, they become history. Uh, to be sure, a well-written letter lays one's heart bare, conveys hopes and wants and desires. Sometimes there's even a please in the letter, isn't there? And the letter physically travels. There's something tactile about a letter. So I remember my daughter got a letter once that travelled uh, from our relatives in the UK to Baraba, but it arrived via Barbados. Three cheers for Royal Mail, hey? We love getting personal handwritten letters, don't we? Don't you love it? Put your hand up if you do. Uh, how are you going with Paul's letter? Paul's letter is a personal letter written to believers in Rome. And verses 14 to 33 remind us uh, vividly of this important truth. It's a letter to the church, to Christians, to fellow believers. And it's got all those things I just mentioned, maybe... Maybe not Barbados, but um, it is well-travelled, although um, it's certainly arrived at Barbados now, hasn't it? 
Uh, today we're going to do the ins and outs of this letter uh, from these verses. And I hope it's rich for us. There's some important application. Uh, but as we get, begin, every letter is personal. See how personal Paul gets. We could pick it up at verse 13. He blesses them. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. What a great prayer. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We could, we could pull that out and just pray for one another now with those very words. If you're ever wondering what to pray about. Verse 14, I am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. It's a bouquet of flowers, isn't it? He's, he's being generous. Mind you, you'd have to be filled with knowledge and competent to instruct in order to follow half of what Paul is saying in Romans. So it fits. But notice there's more empathy. Uh, verse 15, I've written to you quite boldly on some points. So there's been occasions where he's got the cattle prod out. Uh, why? To remind you of them again, these points, they need to be reinforced because of the grace God has given me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Uh, he gave me a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He is like a dog with a bone again uh, with this Gentile Jew stuff, isn't he? And that's the context. We need to keep seeing this. Paul is saying in these verses to the church in Rome, guys, you know this stuff. And I just need to remind you, you're, you're full of goodness and, and knowledge and you're competent. Don't not hear that. You know it, but you've got to keep coming back to it. You know the gospel, but you've got to keep coming back to the gospel. And don't we all? Don't we all need to do that? We all need to keep coming back to the gospel. We need to keep remembering the what's. And the what is the gospel is for everyone. Jews, non-Jews, everybody, all nations worshipping our great God, the people of God. Do you remember the people of God pictured as an olive tree in chapter 11? Thriving, one tree, always was one tree, yet wild branches at some stage are grafted in, the unbelieving branches are broken off and thrown in the fire. Wild branches are accepted, joined, literally bound into this tree. Now uh, it thrives, this one olive tree that represents the people of God. And this is the basis of Paul's command last week to accept one another in verse 7. To put aside past prejudices, you all belong to each other. You belong to Christ as the people of God. And don't just accept one another. Yes, do that. But also, you remember verses 9 to 12? Sing together. Sing together. Join in together. And surely those who sing together serve together as part of the body. And verse 16 affirms this. Uh, verse 16 reminds you of anything as he pulled up that imagery. If I say offering or acceptable to God, throw in a bit of priestly duty. Did, where did your imagination go with that? Did it go to the old covenant? 
Well, did it go to chapter 12 first? I hope it went to chapter 12, verse 1. I've been like a dog with a bone in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 throughout. Remember, it conveys Old Testament sacrifice imagery. Uh, and when you think of that, we remember th that Christ is the ultimate once-for-all sacrifice. Don't go away from that. Yet our response, as we belong to Christ, we follow where he first led the way. We offer ourselves, don't we? Chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you as objects of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Lay it down. Serve. Holy and pleasing. This is your true and proper worship. Relationship with God in our Lord Jesus Christ is sacrifice and service. As we give ourselves wholly and completely to him, we surrender. And so we offer ourselves, and Paul is saying, I think, think in verse 16, the same again. And look, the Gentiles are part of this. So do the Gentiles. They too truly and properly worship God in Christ. That's the what. Now, what about the why? There is a why to this letter, and you won't miss it. Um, when I was training to be a property valuer, I did that for many years before college. Um, training to be a property value, I took three years to teach us basically three things. The three things of being a property value are, you ready? Point one, location. Point two, location. Point three, location. That's right, that's it. You've done the course, congratulations. And likewise, there are three things that Paul puts before us regarding the why. And can you guess what the three things are? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's it. Look at verse 17. I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. See, it's all about Christ. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. It's his doing in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power and signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. It's all his activity. And see how far-reaching it is. From Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Verse 20 could well be the key verse here. See... Uh, how ambitious Paul is for the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Or gospel, gospel, gospel. Same thing. And he, this is his heart being laid bare in the letter. And it gets us thinking about our ambition as we reflect on Paul's ambition and how driven he is and what gets him out of bed. We are right to ask, well, what gets you out of bed? What makes you tick? What are you ambitious for? Where are your ambitions leading you? And what do your ambitions have to do with your belief as a Christian? Are you a Christian? Uh, you love the gospel? You treasure that? Well, how do your ambitions play into that? Now, if you're not sure, okay, you might not be an ambitious person, but we have loves, right? What are your loves? your desires, they could be summed up 
in the four T test. And I've done this before, four T's. As you think about what your your heart's desire is, uh, how do you spend your time? That's the first T. Because that's going to be a giveaway. What you devote most of your time to will probably be that which you love the most. Uh, treasure. What consumes your cash? Thoughts. What do you spend all your time thinking about? Talk. Well, what comes out of your, um, uh, your mouth? What do you spend all your time talking about? Time, treasure, thoughts, talk. What takes up all of these things? And as you think about those things, you are on your way to unlocking your heart's desires and seeing your ambition. Ambition for money will make you greedy. Ambition for pleasure will make you indulgent. Ambition for recognition will make you self-promoting. And a pain in the neck, quite frankly. So what are you ambitious for? What is the why of your life? What gets you out of bed? For the Apostle Paul, all that matters is Jesus and the Gospel. Is that what matters to you? Paul's letters are rich in theology and teaching and doctrine. Yes, yeah, see that. But when we understand this as a letter, we, we remember rightly this book just exists really to serve that which he is most passionate about. And what he is most passionate about isn't necessarily writing theology <laughs> and writing letters. It's the work of proclaiming the gospel and making Jesus known to all nations. That's what gets Paul out of bed, I think. How does he do that? Well, verse 15. Here's the how. Verse 15. Uh, it's all on account of God's grace. Grace God has given to Paul. Verse 15. Uh, the former persecutor of Christians knows that apart from the grace of God, he's got a big fat load of nothing. Like me. Like you, apart from the grace of God. His heart, the heart of his work, is among the Gentiles, verse 16. He basically goes everywhere he can. That's verses 19 and 20. Uh, and so there's no limit to the scope of his work. Uh, but also, verse 17, see that his ministry is self-effacing. Uh, it's not about me. He glories in Christ Jesus as he serves God. It's not about Paul. It's about Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's a bit about the how, but what about the who? Who did all of this? Look at verse 18. I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. This is all Christ's doing. See, here are some self-evident truths which help us to recognize false claims. You cannot be fit without exercise. That's a self-evident truth. You can't become wealthy by responding to emails from Nigeria. You can't be slim without watching what you eat. 
And you can't grow a true church without God and his gospel of grace. This is important for us because Paul is ambitious, yeah, but Paul is not out to build up a following for himself. He's not counting likes on Facebook or the number of hits he gets on YouTube. He's not doing this so that his ego can be stroked, so that he can promote himself. No, his ministry is based on grace, God's grace. And it's focused on the gospel, and he does it in a self-effacing manner. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And so here is a model for ministry. And I hope and pray it's a model that we share here at St. Augustine's. That we would be dependent on grace. That we would be gospel focused. And that we also would be self-effacing. Now the grace of God is what Paul is going to need going forward. And it's what we need as well. And so where is the gospel taking Paul? Well, verses 23 to 29 outlines an itinerary of sorts. At this point, the letter starts to read like a missionary prayer letter, doesn't it? He wants to visit Rome. Then he's going to go to Spain. He wants them to partner in him in that enterprise. Before that, though, he's got to go off to Jerusalem. Why? Fellow believers are hungry. The Lord's people are hungry in Jerusalem because there's a famine. And who else is better to meet the need of Christians in Jerusalem than Gentile churches of Macedonia and Achaia? <laughs> and it turns out the Gentiles were pleased to do it. Important detail. Thank you, Paul. Why would he even need to say that? Well, of course, because of the long history of the Jew and Gentile thing. It's there before us. But hey, what a surprise. It turns out that the Gentiles of the day understood the olive tree picture, didn't they? Verse 27. They were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them, the church in Jerusalem. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, the tree, Old Testament promise, other roots, now we're joined to that. If we share in the spiritual blessings, then yeah, we owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. It just follows. We belong to each other. We've accepted one another. Now, all of this also, is it ambitious? Absolutely. Why? Well, because going to Jerusalem, <laughs> Paul's a Christian now, and his former colleagues, they want to they wanna have him. And they want to sort him out. Make no, mis make no mistake, Spain, is that ambitious? Uh, going to Spain these days, well, it's just, you know, for some it's very easy if you live in Europe. Hello, Europe. Um, but back then it was shorthand for the ends of the earth. It was very adventurous. And so, yeah, it is ambitious. Um, Paul is planning a lot. He's got a strategy. And it's little wonder that he asks believers in Rome to pray for him. Here is a reminder, though, that we are not lone rangers in the church. Not even our missionaries, as we consider the where, as we 
consider taking the gospel out to Inverell and beyond to the world, we can plan and we can have strategies. <laughs> but it's not all up to me. And it's not all up to you. It's not all up to Adam or Tinica or whoever. There's no space here for the self-sufficient. Yeah, we can be ambitious for the gospel together, but we need to be ambitious for the gospel under God and subject to his grace. And yeah, we pray to that end, of course. Now, this also reminds us that our missionaries should never be subconscious about uh, seeking financial report, uh, support, never, ever, and nor prayer support. Never, ever should they be subconscious about that. Which brings us to the next point, and that's the pleas. I mean, you read any letter, if you're like me, what are they asking me to do? You've got to ask that, even personal letters. Paul asks people to pray. That's what he's asking them to do. To support him primarily through prayer. To come with him, partner with him on the journey and to pray. And we'll unpack this request in a minute. But before I do, I want to ask you, do you ever? Do I ever what? When you communicate with believers... Do you ask them to pray? Is it part of our natural habit? Even part of our culture? And I suspect it's not. Are you dependent on God? Are you dependent on God's grace and his gospel? Because praying is something Christians do. We should never be embarrassed about that. Or subconscious about that. Even for us. We say, yeah, missionaries should be giving us prayer points. But what about you? Particularly those involved in ministry leadership. How can we pray for you at the moment? And if we're praying, are our prayers to God, are they ambitious for the gospel? That we might grow in the gospel. Or that others might know the gospel. Do you pray that way? Now, have a look at back to Paul's prayers. Here is his plea. This is what he wants of the church in Rome. Verse 30. Um, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, isn't that beautiful, to join me in my struggle by praying. There it is. There's the pleas. Pray what? It doesn't just say Pray. He says, pray that I may be kept safe from unbelievers in Judea. That's the first thing, because going to Jerusalem is going to be dangerous. The second thing is that the contribution he takes to Jerusalem will be favorably received by the Lord's people there. And the third thing is that he may come to them with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed well. Three prayer points. Were they answered? Were they answered? Well, you could read uh, Acts chapters 21 right to the end. It's a cracking read. You should get on it and you'll get the answer. And was the collection accepted? It seems so. That gets a tick. Not much was made of that in Acts, by the way. Was Paul safe from the Jews? Hmm. 
Well, on account of the Romans, he was. So the answer is, well, yeah, but not the way you would expect. Did he get to Rome and enjoy refreshment and uh, the comfort of their presence and all that lovely, lovely stuff? Well, he, he does get there, but it's via a couple of court appearances, a storm, a shipwreck, snake bites, chains, no ankle bracelet, but house arrest, if you get that idea. Does he get to Spain even? He gets to Rome, by the way. Does he get to Spain? Well, no one can be certain. Lesson. God hears our prayers. God also sits on his throne and does what he wants. And as God does what he wants, we are subject to his grace. He answers our prayers the way he wants to. And sometimes we're blind to that and we don't see that. Often he uh, answers our prayers with a path that is not at all of our choosing, but God in his wisdom, that's what he does. It's his, it's, it's his will. He answers prayer. He hears us, he answers, and often it's in ways that are completely beyond us. You'll be praying for something at the moment. You can have great confidence that God hears you. And in one way or another, God will answer like he did for Paul. It's just not going to be the way of your choosing necessarily. Because God is God and we are not. Remember, we are recipients of his grace. Undeserved kindness. And this is why praying together is good for us. This is the last thing we're going to finish with. So stay with me. Sometimes unanswered prayer can leave us disappointed and feeling abandoned and it brings on doubt and insecurity and fear. And this is why it's good for us, better for us, to be praying with others. Because praying with others confirms our trust and dependence on God. It is by nature encouraging, super encouraging. Praying with others reminds us of the what, the what of the gospel, and that we are under God's grace. And so praying with others actually stops us from being selfish in our prayers or even praying in a way that is just selfish ambition, really. Praying with others brings us back to the cross, I think. It brings us back to the gospel. It brings us back to the what of the gospel, the who of Jesus, and the how of God's grace. It reminds us of hope and joy and peace. And so together we trust in him so that we might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
spent some time in Romans uh, and having received that great encouragement to pray I encourage you uh, be praying absolutely uh, find things to be thankful for, make a list, write them down, uh, find things to ask God for help for uh, absolutely, we pray for the sick, the lonely, the outcast those who are grieving uh, pray in light of the scriptures here uh, as you read through here, one of the the things I love doing, and I've done this in church a few times, I'm just going to riff on these words. And I'm going to pray it as I find it here. Uh, and so I'm going to pray for missionary enterprise. I'm going to pray that the gospel would be the main thing, that our ministry here would be shaped by grace, that be dependent on God, and that it would be self-effacing. We're pointing people to Jesus and the hope we have in him. Um, I'm going to pray for myself, probably, that, Lord, may ministry never be about me and my selfish ambition or my ego, uh, but may, may I serve the gospel wholeheartedly and happily. Um, lots of things for us to be praying about. Uh, you can pray those prayers as well in the context of your own ministry. Uh, we could pray about missionary enterprise for the work of CMS and our link partners, Andy and Margie, or our brother and sister, Gil and Ruth in Cambodia. Um, we could pray to that end. And above all else, we could pray that the gospel goes out, that more and more people hear the good news of Jesus, that they repent, that their lives are changed, their minds are renewed, and that 
we all truly and properly uh, worship God under Christ. Lots to be praying about. I commit it to you. Uh, God bless you. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Part two on Sunday. See you then. Jesus crucified.